And so um, I chose verse 4 out of Proverbs for our Proverbs. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. Next week, um, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news, but you probably have been, but um, there've been, there's been so much in the news about what's going on in our world. And uh, I've been mulling and kind of turning the, the soil for over a year on a series that I'm, that I'm going to start next week um, that has to do with security. Security, eternal security, security in your home, security as a, as a nation. And uh, so I uh, just want to let you know if that's a topic that you are interested in, that's going to start next week. And it's not going to be political, um, although I will discuss world conditions somewhere along the way, but we'll be at that for several weeks. So we've been in a series, and this is the last message in the series where we've been really studying um, many of the concepts that are in the red printing in your Bible, the words of Jesus, um, things that Jesus is, is, is amped up about. And uh, I want to I talk today just for a minute or two about some survival skills, okay? I mean, if you want to survive, there's some stuff you're supposed to have with you. In fact, um, you know, if you are an outdoors person, you probably, there are so many different lists of things you're supposed to have, survival kit in the woods, right? Matches, good one. Fire starter, knife, cord, water, filter and bottle, flashlight, map and compass. It helps if you know how to use them. A shelter material, first aid kit, clothing, a pack to hold it all in. Um, another really good one would be a person, a buddy or something like that. Maybe that's outdoor survival. Okay, good, good list. How about driving survival? How to survive if you drive, right? I mean, is there a list of things, skills? <laughs> you know, here's the thing. Okay. I think that depends on where you grew up and where you're living. If you grew up in the Northwest and learned to drive in the Northwest, you will die if you drive in Southern California, okay? Because, okay, when I was taught how to drive, the first place they, they had me driving wasn't 25 miles an hour on the street. get on the freeway. And Dad said, put your foot down. You know, get on the freeway. These people are going 70 miles an hour. You figure out how to blend safely with them and don't stop them and don't run into them. I'm thinking, you only had to drive. I've never driven at all. 70 miles an hour. Okay, I like this. <laughs> I've been going 70 or more ever since. <laughs> My dad told me. <laughs> but, you know, in our, in our culture, it's kind of shifting now. It's like you get on, if you get on an on-ramp around here, just in the Northwest, okay? This isn't like this anywhere else in the country. In the, in the Northwest, you get on an on-ramp in a line of cars. You can depend on the first person in the line to put their brakes on and go, is it okay if I come over there now? Would you slow down? And then the guy in that lane, well, they'll slow down. And now I'm, I'm now put into that lane, and somebody's, a truck is going 70 miles an hour coming up behind me. I'm getting mad talking about this. Can you tell? <laughs> You're supposed to go fast and blend, okay? That's what... <laughs> But if you take the Northwest driving skills, the no, you go first, no, you go first, no, you go first, let me wave you, you keep the right away. I mean, if you take that skill set with you to Southern California, you will die. There, there, you do not use your turn signal. You aim your car. That's a survival. How about parenting skills? What do you have to know if you're going to have parenting skills? A couple of things. Peanut butter and jelly. And some people would say an essential is hairstyling. Or, <laughs> you're laughing because it's true. Okay, so, um, or another, just general life skills, time management, that's a good one. Time management, a good skill, will you agree with that? Stress management, if you can't figure out how to shed stress, 
and how to deal with stress, you will kind of burn up crispy critter. Here's another essential survival skill. You have to forgive people. You have to. You're not going to make it if every time something happens to you, a big thing or a little thing, every time somebody crosses you or insults you or slights you, if, if when that happens, you're going to pack it up in a bag and toss it into a trailer and tow it around with you through life, you're, you're not going to survive. You have to be able to forgive. And I have a goal. My goal is today, is everybody, every single one of us will take whatever grudge, whatever is hurting us, whatever, you know, whatever wrong that was done to you, that every single one of us, every person, will take every deliberate slight, every, every incident of abuse that you've ever experienced, and that you'll forgive it. <laughs> and that's my goal for, for this morning, not for this afternoon. I mean, that you take that thing and, and just forgive it. Now, and you might be saying right now, well, Terry, that's a pretty high mark. That's a pretty lofty goal, and, and it's a pretty hard one. And I, I would agree that with, you know, with men, it's probably impossible. But with God, it's not, because with God, all things are possible. So um, I want to just take a minute before we go too far, and I want to pray, because I think um, this is an area where we, we just, just need to pray. So, Lord, uh, I just I thank you this morning that every single person that you have drawn in here, you've drawn us here, every single one of us, and that you love us so much, God. And it's so often that we kind of limp through life with, with pain that's been caused by other people. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can be free from that. And Lord, you've provided for it and you've modeled it. So Lord, would you please give us the courage, somehow Lord, give us the strength to choose to do what's right. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. We're going to be praying a couple more times today too. So um, we're going to be in Matthew 18 today because we, got, we have this book that changes people's lives and I want to see what it says about forgiveness because this, this meeting today is not a part of the local gun club or the Rotary or the um, People for the American Way or Make America Great Again or the 4-H or the Lewis County Soccer, Youth Soccer. That's not what this is. If you've come today um, and you didn't know what this was, you've joined up with a bunch of followers of Jesus Christ. And um, we've got this master. We have this Lord who, um, you know, he's prescribed a way for us to live, and so we want to live the way he wants us to, and so we're digging through the red words of the scriptures in this set, finding the passions of Jesus. And you probably, you probably know, the, most of you probably already know the, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, Right? Pretty common, you learn that, um, most denominations teach that and recite it at some point. He's the master, and he's, you know, he, we're trying to way, live the way he lived, and we want to do what he did. And I want to tell you today that Jesus is fired up about forgiveness. He's passionate about forgiveness. And um, when we pray that prayer, forgive us um, our debts as we forgive those who debted against, who have debted against us. That's actually, Lord, forgive us the same way. That, script, that, that prayer is not forgive us at the same time we forgive us. It's forgive us in the same way we forgive others. You catch that distinction. 
And Jesus taught us to pray that way. Immediately, Jesus, um, immediately after that passage in Scripture, Jesus adds this explanation about the prayer that he was teaching. And the, the, the very next words out of his mouth in Matthew 6, verses 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He says it again in Mark 11, Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, and you've probably all, you've been praying already this morning, and um, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. You know, I I was just reading some news this morning, and you know the whole Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan thing is coming up in the news again. You know what I'm talking about, the why, why, you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Okay, so... Still to this day, there is unforgiveness. All kinds of people whose lives were defined by something that happened 24 years ago. Instead of all the good things that could be going on in life, that still is the maypole around which they circulate. 24 years later. And the reason they're still stuck to the maypole is unforgiveness. Anyway, okay. If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus is saying here, hey, when you stand up praying in church, if something comes to mind, leave. Go fix it, and then come back and do your business with God. That's basically what he's saying here. Luke 6.37, Jesus says, forgiven, you'll be forgiven. 7.47, he's talking about the sinful woman. He says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven her. Over and over and over, Jesus' passion for forgiveness is all through Scripture. Even the last words, some of the last things he said on the cross, you know, he's, he's hanging there, he, 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 you know, dying, paying the penalty for, for my sins, yours too, and so that we could be forgiven. And the last thing he says, Father, forgive them. You can't spend 10 minutes in the gospel without seeing how much Jesus is fired up about forgiveness. So we should be too. So our text um, today, Matthew 18, let me give you some context here. Um, Jesus is teaching about how to deal with conflict, how to solve problems, relational problems that you're having with people. You're not getting along with somebody, and um, the way to handle it is you go to them and you talk to them about it, and you, you work it out with them. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you will have gained your brother. You know, so, okay, pretty straightforward. You don't tell other people about him. You go to the person and say, hey, can we talk? You know, see, I know you're asking yourself the question, what if he won't listen? What if he won't work it out? Jesus goes on this passage. He says, well, if he won't listen, he won't work it out, then take another person with you and go through it again. And, and well, what if he still won't do it? And then the process goes. There's a process. Jesus explains to you how you deal with and resolve conflicts with people. And while Jesus is talking about this, Peter, I think he's daydreaming. Because he pops up this question. And um, I think what, what really is happening here is Peter is jumping forward to the chase. I think he's a little bit daydreaming. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that in church? I hope so. I hope so, because I think an awful lot of church daydreaming is you and the Holy Spirit on a walk. Anyway, so um, I think Peter is daydreaming. Jesus, the creator of the universe, is talking to him, and he's thinking ahead, or he's thinking about something else. And um, he's thinking about really the central issue. And uh, verse 21, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Up to seven times? (laughs) 
Peter was pretty impressed with himself here. He's envisioning this situation where um, a friend does something to him, and he says, I forgive you. And he does it to him again, and I forgive you. And he's thinking, well, I'm going to ask Jesus, how many times should I forgive him? And I know Jesus will say a lot, so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up right now all the way to seven. It's going to be great. <laughs> how many times should I forgive Jesus? Up to seven times? <laughs> and Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, Pete was thinking on number eight, he gets to bail. That's what he's thinking. In fact, I should be able to bail before this. And Jesus says, you don't get to ever bail. You don't ever get to stop. Jesus is certainly not telling us to carry a calculator in our pocket and go to 490, right? Right? To 491, you bail. That is not what he's saying here. He is saying your forgiveness needs to be limitless. It's mega. It's maximum. It's every time, all the time. Forgive. He knows that that's kind of a complicated concept, so he starts to tell this parable. So here we go with Jesus. Um, He's going to tell Peter a story in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven... Now, Jesus immediately starts to differentiate between two different kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And he's going to point out that, um, that, that there are people in this world who kind of do their own thing, they go their own way. You know, God is kind of an afterthought to them, not central to the way that they live. And they're living in the kingdom of this world. And um, there are other group of people, he's pointing out, that are, um, you know, they're not living, they're, they're alive in this world, but they're not living in this world. Their mind is on the things of God, and, and they're living this, their life on this earth, wanting to do what the king wants them to do. And Jesus says, you can do the you know, kingdom of earth thing. There's a better way. It's kingdom of heaven. That's what's all in that It's God's way. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, who in this story represents God, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. The servants in this story represent us. Okay, if you're a follower of the Lord, this is, this is, you're a follower, this is you it's talking about. So the king has all these guys that are out doing these things for him, and the time comes that he wants to, okay, you've been doing business for me, you've been collecting, da-da-da-da-da, um, I want my money, let's, let's meet. Let's meet together, I want to count the money. Verse 24, and when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, now that 10,000 talents, maybe you have a study Bible, and you have some idea of what that is. But in case you don't, I'm going to give you a little bit of idea of what, what, what we're talking about here. In the context of Jesus telling this story, okay, so I looked it up last Tuesday. The spot market price for gold, okay, was $1,308.80 an ounce, okay? And um, a talent is about 75 pounds, okay? So let's do a little bit of math. I'll do it for you. $1,300 an ounce times 16 ounces in a pound is so about $21,000 a pound. But I I've, I didn't round it for my calculations. It's $20,940, okay, and, um, and 80 cents. Okay, and 75 pounds per talent. So a pound of gold, $1.57 million and some change. So far, so good. That's one talent. Times 10,000 talents, it's roughly $15.7 billion dollars. This dude owes $15.7 billion. <laughs> you like that? Billion dollars? Okay. Okay, he owes a pile of money. 
pay me my, pay me my money. Now, if you have to pay this back, $15.7 billion, here's a little more math for you, okay? If you had to pay it back and you paid a dollar a second, you got a buck? Oh, sorry, I need two now. It's been two seconds. Okay, I mean, a dollar a second, here's what that equates to. If you were paying back this debt a dollar a second, um, 60 seconds is a minute times 60 in a minute and an hour times 24, it ends, ends up being $86,400 today. That's how much you pay back. Anybody got that kind of money for today? $86,000. And if you do it all year long, it ends up being $31.5 million. You'd pay back at a dollar a second. It's $31.5 million at the end of the year to get to your 15. It's over 500 years you do that every second. Okay. This debt is not getting repaid. Right? It's not, at least not anytime soon. So he's got this deficit. It's not going to get paid. It's just not possible. There's no way. He's not going to pay it now. He's not going to pay it tomorrow. He's not going to pay it ever. He's not going to pay it if he wins the lottery. Two people won the lottery this week. Don't put your money in the lottery. Two people won the lottery. They couldn't pay it. Verse 25. But as he was not able to pay, that's understated, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Okay, so there were no bankruptcy laws back then. You couldn't just get a lawyer and go through the process and have everything forgiven. It didn't work that way. You had to liquidate. And liquidate meant everything that you held dear. Everything. Sell your children, sell your wife. They're gone, and now you're a slave too. And he's required to do that. He says, give me as much as you can, basically, and I'll deal with that. Okay, verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. (laughs) What a crazy promise. There's no way he's going to pay that back. But, hey, when you're desperate, you'll say anything, right? That's what he's doing here. He's just, he's begging, find a way, please forgive me. Wow, and watch what happens. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Wow. There is a great definition of forgiveness. He released him. Forgiveness is the decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted from having injured you. <laughs> if I was to walk up to you right now and injure you, let's do something as simple as like, that hurt. That hurt too. <laughs> if I was to walk up and do that to you, that would create a debt. I would owe you because of what I did. You get the picture. Forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't happen. Not at all. Forgiveness is not, is not giving people an opportunity to do it again. It's not that at all. Forgiveness is just treating the person as though it never happened. It's releasing them from the obligation that resulted from them having injured you. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me. You're released. You're forgiven. Forgiveness is a decision to treat the person as though it never happened. That's how you treat that person. And that's what the king does here to the servant. But watch the plot twist. Okay, verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, this is one six hundred thousandth of the size of the debt, okay? It's nothing, okay? 
who owed him hundred, this, this hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. <laughs> really? He's just, just, you know, give me my 20 bucks. He's shaking it out of this guy. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. It's the exact same words. I have to wonder if there was a line dealing with the master. This guy had heard him say it over his, you know, 10,000 talents, and he thought, I'm just going to use the same words with him. I don't know if he did or not, but, but notice the difference. And, verse 30, and he would not. Notice and catch here that forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. It, notice that God's word doesn't say he could not. Scripture says he would not. He wouldn't do it. He could forgive, won't. He could release, won't. Won't. Won't do it. Won't forgive, won't do it. Unforgiveness is a choice. He would not, but he went and he threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, that is how, that's how it is, by the way. When you're about to do the most dastardly thing you can do in life, there's someone watching and, um, you know, you're going to be the biggest jerk ever, and here are these people. Everybody in the office is going, hey, did you just see what Terry did? You know, um, they were very, very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Verse 32, then the master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he could pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you if each of you from his heart does not, from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, all of it. Here's the whole point of this entire parable in one sense. It, it, it means this. The time to forgive is now. Right now. The, the, the point of this entire parable is that the time to forgive is now. There's, there's no good reason to wait until tomorrow. There's no good reason to wait until next week or next month. The time to extend forgiveness, the time to release the person that's injured you is today. It's this morning. It's here in this room <laughs> right now. Right now. And I'm going to give you four reasons why the time to forgive is now. And we're going to take it right out of this text, the scripture. The first one, the time to forgive is now, is because rationalizations are foolish. Okay? So Peter, remember, um, you know, seven, how many times shall I forgive? Time seven. You know, Peter wanted to know if there's a way out of forgiveness. He, he, was, he was asking if there was an excuse. Is there a loophole? Is there an escape clause? For, is there a rationalization? Is there a way out, Jesus? You know, when you don't have to forgive, is there a way out? And Jesus said, no. Not, not ever. <laughs> he takes Peter 7 and multiplies it, and he says, there, Peter, you just, you just keep, keep doing it. You keep forgiving. There's no excuse. There's no exclusion. There's no way out. There's no rationalization. Sadly, we have a lot of rationalizations for not forgiving, and so I'm going to give you um, five common rationalizations people have for not forgiving. Number one, the hurt is too big. It's too big. I can't possibly forgive this. It's just too big. Now, that's really common. I'm going to tell you that's crazy thinking. 
okay? Um, wouldn't you think, unforgiveness is just this ugly thing that circulates in our heart. Wouldn't you think that the bigger it something is, the bigger the piece of baggage, the more you want to dump it off? But the bigger it is, the more we hold on to it and lug it with us. Here's the thing. Nobody's, nobody's life gets ruined because, because somebody cuts them off in traffic. <laughs> yeah, you might think them, I'm pretty, you know, wounded by traffic. But nobody's life gets ruined because someone steps on their toes. It's the big stuff. It's the big stuff that ruins our lives. The rationalizations are foolish. It, 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 that's the number one reason I think is it's too big. Here's another one. I can't forgive until I forget. When I forget, I'm going to forgive. But as long as I can remember, and I'm not forgiving it, as long as I remember, I, I, I won't forgive it until I forget it. That's not working. That doesn't work. That's wrong. The truth is that you won't forget until after you've forgiven. That's when you'll forget it. As long as you, it's kind of like, it's kind of like sitting around the campfire, you know. As long as you keep nursing it and fueling it and feeding off of it, you can't look away. You notice that about a campfire? You can't stop looking at it. Or it's like, it's like on Christmas morning, the snow was coming down. I couldn't stop watching the white Christmas. Is it just me? I mean, you just can't look away at, at a campfire. It's like, it, it, it just stays fresh in your mind, and you, and you just nurture it and nurse it. I heard a preacher one time talk about this. You nurse it and rehearse it over and over in your mind. And of course it's going to stay alive when you nurture it like that. And, you know, but when you get rid of it, when you release it, when you forgive it, it's then that over time you'll actually start to forget. I've, I've preached a message before on this, on this something, something called the, there's this crisis and then the process, and I'm not going to take, take time on that today, but that's how change happens. We have this crisis, and then there's this process that follows. And, and I've basically been praying about today that, that this moment would be for many of us a crisis where... Um, where we would make our mind up, where we would make our mind up to make a choice to forgive. And then from when you begin that process, when that memory comes back, there'll be some pain. And you choose to forgive again, and there will be less pain. And the process grows on. And over time, the times that it will come up in your memory is going to be fewer and fewer, and there's going to be more and more time in between. And it'll come up again, and you'll remember something, and it'll hurt again when you remember it. And you say, okay, I've walked away from that, and it was wrong, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to detach myself from that. And over time, you will forget. And at some point, you'll remember, oh, I forgot all about that. And the pain will be less. You won't, you won't forget unless you already forgive. Number th- three, rationalization. I'm not going to forgive just now. My plan is I'm going to let time heal it. <laughs> really? The problem with that is that time doesn't heal anything. Okay? You, 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 you might, time might bury some stuff. It, it might, you know, you could stick some stuff underneath the carpet. But when you dig that carpet, when you flip that carpet back over, precious little one, I'll hold them. <laughs> I'm more serious than you realize. Um... um you know, the thing is that when you bury it under the carpet and you decide later to deal with the lump on the carpet and you look at it, it's just going to be just as ugly as it was when you put it underneath there. Time will not heal it. 
Time doesn't heal anything. Okay, number four, I'll wait to forgive until they say they're sorry. That's a bad plan. What if they never say they're sorry? What if they die before they have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry? Some of you are going, yeah, that'd be okay. Stop that. (laughs) Don't think that way. Really. I mean, the question I would ask you is, are you really going to lug this thing around with you for your entire life? Why would you do that to yourself? Here's a better plan. Why don't you just go ahead and forgive that thing? Just be done with it. You know, don't, don't even tell them that you forgave them. By the way, you don't have to tell people that you've forgiven them. Maybe the best time to tell them that is when they do come and say, I'm sorry. But, but going up to someone who isn't sorry that they've hurt you and saying, hey, I just want you to know, I forgive you for what you did to me. And they're thinking, you know, this person hates you, and you go to them and say, I forgive you. What, how's, how's that going to come? They're going to say, you forgive me for what? It's not going to work out. You don't have to tell them anything. Forgive them and let the Lord work on them and let the Lord release you. And when the time comes for you to tell them, you'll know. You'll know because it'll be, don't worry about that. Just do your business with God. Okay, leave the apology in God's hand. The last rationalization, lots of people feel this way. I just can't forgive them because I know it's going to happen. They'll do it again. They're going to say it to me again. They're going to do it to me again. It's just going to happen again. I can't forgive them until I know I'm safe, that they can never do this to me again. The whole belief that somehow our refusal to forgive <laughs> is going to change that person, it's, it's, it's bad thinking. Your refusal to forgive will not keep them from doing it again. It won't. It won't make any difference what they do. Okay, here's, let me kind of parse this for you. If, if the offense that hurt you was an oversight or a mistake, and you do what Jesus said to do in Matthew 18, 15, go to them and tell them, and it was an oversight, they go, oh, I'm, I had no idea, I'm so sorry. You're done with it, it's fixed. But if what they did to you was not an oversight, they hurt you, and they're okay with hurting people, that's what we would put in the category of being a character flaw. Okay? Fair enough? They got a character flaw. They've hurt you intentionally. That's just not good. And um, so let's just call that a character flaw. Believing that your refusal to forgive them is going to somehow shape their character flaw, it'll never happen. Here's what your refusal to forgive does. It degrades your character, not theirs. It doesn't do anything to repair it. So I want to suggest to you this morning, as, as genuinely as I know how to, that it's really time to just bag all of the rationalizations and all of the pain and the ugliness that goes with unforgiveness and just make the choice to forgive. And I, I want to just take a moment before we go any further and... Um, I really believe the Holy Spirit wants us to privately, eyes closed, address this issue. And I want to ask you just to very privately take a moment right now and just locate in your own heart who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it? And don't say any names or anything like that, but I just say if you're not sure who, I will tell you God will help you. He's capable of helping everybody in this room at the same time to tell us who we need to forgive. And just... Just You can pray this simple, private, quiet prayer 
sincerely from your heart, Lord, I want freedom from unforgiveness. I ask you to bring to my mind the names of people that I need to forgive. And if you pray that prayer, you have to be prepared to actually write it down or have a ment- make a mental note because, Lord, I want freedom from, for, from unforgiveness. Help me know the names of people that I need to forgive and, and, and he'll show you that. Okay, so I want to move forward. Um, so that's something you can do and I encourage you and I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to people today. So, okay, um, the first reason why the time to forgive now is because rationalizations are foolish. Second reason is because making other people pay is destructive. It's just majorly destructive. This guy in verse 28, he's having this major breakdown. (laughs) Something's going on here. He's been forgiven all this stuff, verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. It's so destructive. Think about right now the things that are getting blown up in this moment. Okay? First off, uh, friendships. I mean, I... I don't know about you, but if you give loans out to people, you don't give them out to your enemies. You give them to your friends. How this guy got into a relationship where he owed money, there was something, there was something in their past, and it's gone now. This guy is, he, he's just, that's gone. Second, second thing that's getting blown up is reason. Reason. Good, strong, sound thinking. It wasn't like the 15 bucks that this guy owed him was going to somehow pay off his 10,000 talent debt, right? It wasn't going to scratch the surface. And, like, this guy is focused on every cost for his problems but his own. He's, he, he, he sees this guy, and he's, his anger is focused on anybody he can blame. He should be rejoicing. He's got nothing, including no debt. Okay, another thing that's blown up here is his relationship with his coworkers. You know, imagine them, they, what they're thinking, and, and, and look at this. Look at closely at verse 20. He doesn't even talk to this guy. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat and he starts screaming. It's like, it's like he grabs the guy by the throat and shoves him up against the locker and says, <laughs> you got it or not? Give me my money. And he's just having a meltdown. And where's the logic in this? He, you owe me 15 bucks, so I'm going to put you in prison in a place where you have no hope to earn a dime to pay me back. This, it just doesn't make sense. This guy's having a meltdown. He just wasn't thinking clearly. And that's what unforgiveness does to us. Unforgiveness and bitterness has a way of twisting your thinking so you can act in bizarre ways. And that's what's going on here. And I think, you know, what, what can you possibly say to the one who forgave everything after you refused to give somebody else? You know, the guy just gave you, just forgave you 15 billion dollars and you choke this guy over 15 bucks you know what do you say then you when you face that king how can you possibly reconcile this verse 32 then his master after he had called him said to him you wicked servant i forgave you all that debt because you begged me and you're going to see here he says nothing at this point He's, he's so ashamed, he just stands there, he doesn't say a word because he, he knew that unforgiveness is so destructive. It just wrecks everything about life that's supposed to be good. It's so destructive. In fact, it's kind of a lie. Unforgiveness is, is really a, like saying, I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to hate you in my heart. I'm going to seethe and I'm going to stew and I'm going to sour with the pain that you caused me and I'm not going to forgive you. I'm not going to let go. You're not off the hook. I'm going to make you pay. That's what unforgiveness does. But here's the lie. Here's the lie in unforgiveness. Who pays for unforgiveness? (laughs) I do. I do. 
I pay for when I don't forgive. I mean, here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, without go- going into gory detail, I'm sure there are plenty of people in this world who hate me, hate Terry. I mean, I, they don't like me, whatever. I mean, but I don't know it. I can tell you that honestly. There are, I'm sure there are people who don't like me, but I don't know it. Because if someone has ought with me, I try to get with that person and work it out. And if they will, if they will work it out, then we're done. We're, we're good. And I've had plenty of people that I've had to work it out with. <laughs> it's part of life, right? I mean, and I can be intense and, you know, insensitive and I can hurt people. And, and when I, I want to make that right with people. I, I can tell you there are probably one or two people that I can name in my, my heart and see their face that, that I know that I'm not right with. And I'm telling you, I have tried everything I could. I've, I've, I've met multiple times. I can think of one brother, one, one believer, his brother. Multiple times I've met with him one-on-one and tried to make it right. And then I met with him with a witness several times and tried to make it right. And I went to the church council to whom I'm submitted at a personal level. And I said, hey, here's what's going on. Tell me what you want me to do. And I've gotten other pastors involved. Help me sort this out. This particular brother will not be right with me. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be reconciled. Okay, I'm walking away. They, the council of people have said to me, you've got to walk away from this. You've done everything you can do. And you've forgiven him and... It's, this is this is an issue for him. What, what I'm saying is that there are people who hate me in the world. I don't know it. I'm fine today, and they're having a seriously bad day. They are, because they're carrying around something, and I don't even I'm not even aware of it, because it's not hurting me, because I don't know about it. That's why who pays for unforgiveness is the person who doesn't forgive. And. The ugly thing about unforgiveness is that it just destroys us. It doesn't destroy anybody else. If we don't forgive, it it creates a path of destruction that looks like a tornado went through, only worse. So forgive, because rationalizations are foolish, and two, it's really destructive. And number three, because God's forgiveness demands it. And that's the main point of this whole passage that Jesus is sharing here. God's forgiveness demands it. Notice what he says. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And that point is really straightforward. People who have received God's forgiveness have have figured out this, this mega thing that God has forgiven them so they don't have a problem forgiving somebody else for some little thing that they've done to hurt them. Now, okay, little thing. You might be thinking, hey, Terry, come on. You have no idea. What happened to me was no little thing. It was a big thing. I, I don't mean to be insensitive to that. Okay. Call it a big thing. It's a big thing. If it's a big thing, what God forgave you of is a mega big thing. This thing that God forgave us of was so serious, so offensive that the Lord God decided to sacrifice his son so that we could be forgiven. The price, terrible. God, God forgave us of a mega big thing. And I can tell you this for certain, that there's not a single person in this room who's experienced anything like, um, anything on earth equivalent to um, our sinfulness before God. And when that finally gets into my head and into my heart and into your head and your heart, you'll just get more forgiving. You do. 
You do. God's forgiveness demands that we forgive other people. And Jesus says it over and over. You won't be forgiven unless you forgive. He says that over and over again. Now, that is not a plan for salvation. Okay? That, this is, Jesus is not saying that the way to get right with God is to forgive other people. He's not saying that. That's not at all what he's... What he's saying is that people who are right with God, people who have experienced God's forgiveness, they're forgiving people. That's what he's saying here. If we're not forgiving people, you know, if you're not forgiving people, you really do not understand God's forgiveness. The question is, who in this room is going to stand before a holy God and say anything that starts with this? Well, God, the reason I can't forgive is you know, that's a lousy speech. Don't even start to work on that one. Don't prepare that one. Avoid that. Who's going to stand before God with their thing, whatever size we call it, and look at all that God has forgiven and start negotiating with him about what you do and what you don't forgive? You won't do that. When that moment comes, I'm telling you, you will not do that. You'll be just like this dude, speechless, or else you'll be backpedaling as hard as fast as you can go. So here we are this morning, and we've got a choice to make, a choice to forgive, because God's forgiveness demands it. And then the last one is because, and I, I think this is last because it's the least important, but it's true. Unforgiveness is torturous. Verse 34, And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Now, the master, when he delivers him over, isn't expecting the servant to come up with the money. Right? He knows he doesn't have the money. So when he says pay all, he's not meaning to pay all the money back. Pay all here means do what the king, what the master expects. And what the king expects is, he expects us to give to other people what he gave to us. It's that simple. It's that. That's the pay. He's saying this though. He's saying you're, you're going to go and you're going to suffer torture until you start giving to other people what I've given to you. And that's what's going to happen to every one of us until we choose to forgive. And it's torturous. It's just torturous. And some of us, some of us in this room today might be in that torture chamber today. You know, where's God in my life? Why don't I sense God? Why isn't God real to me? Well, you're in a torture chamber and there's personal suffering and there's hardship and there's torment until you figure out what it means to, to extend to other people what God has so freely given to you and to me. And that's the loving truth. So let me wrap this up and close with this. How will I know if I'm forgiving other people? How will I know if I'm forgiving? How will I know? Maybe I've already forgiven them. Maybe I should do it again. How do I know this? Okay, well, remember back to that crisis in the process and the, 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 the process, the, the crisis is, is it, it starts with, I choose to forgive this person, but it's going to take some time for you to feel the effects of that. I mean, at a really practical level, how will I know if I've really forgiven them? Number one, negative feelings are going to start to disappear. You know, before you're forgiven, you bump into that person somewhere and you think to yourself, I hate that person. You know, you, you, you chew on your words and, and, and then when you've forgiven that person, that anger and that bitterness and that resentment, they start to ebb away. 
It may not be instant, but they will start diminishing, and you'll sense it, and you'll feel it. And those, those feelings get replaced by love and concern and empathy, and you, your, your perspective matures. Second way you'll know is you'll get the ability to accept that person. Not condone them. Not support their sin. You get the ability to accept the person like I'm being accepted right this moment by my loving God, even though I'm still sinning, right? You, you, get, you get some insert, in, in, insight to why the person is the way they are. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't make what they did wrong okay. You just begin to, you, this is, if you've forgiven them, this is what you start changing in your own heart. Um, you start getting a little perspective on why they're acting the way they are. Number three, how will I know if I've forgiven? You begin to find it easier to accept other, the failures of other people, generically, in general. You know, a typical unforgiving person is a very harsh person. They, they, don't, they don't just beat up on the person that has hurt them. They beat up on everybody around them, if they're an unforgiving person by nature. Unforgiving people, you know, they're just not popular because they become bitter and they just, they're just no fun to be around. But when you for, forgive... Your ability to, 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 to bear with failure, that, that grows. Your ability to, your tolerance for people and so forth, it just grows. So it's time, to, it's time to forgive and the time is today, right now. Right now. Because rationalizations are lame, unforgiveness is destructive, God's forgiveness demands it, to do otherwise is, is torturous. I think many a man has lost his wife because he hated his boss. I, I think many a, a, a mom has lost her kids out of her life because she hated her dad. I think a lot of adults lose friends because they hate their enemies. When unforgiveness becomes bitterness, it just wrecks everything, all the good stuff. So I'm telling you the truth this morning. The time to forgive is now. Let's pray. Please, nobody looking. Um, I just want to ask you, before we start praying, a couple of straightforward questions, simple questions. Who is it? Who is the face that you see? Who is the name that comes to mind? Who is it? And, and what is it that happened? And then God wants to do a work of healing this morning. And if you would, in this moment, it's a holy moment, make a choice. Maybe you would just pray this simple prayer in your heart, not, in your heart, not out loud. Lord Jesus, I, I, I want to thank you for forgiving me all of my sins. Forgive me, Lord, and forgive me for failing to extend that to other people. And then you just pray, Lord Jesus, I, I just forgive the person's name. I forgive them, Lord, for, for what they did. Tell God that right now. I forgive them for that, Lord, and I want to know and experience the freedom that you provided to me, the freedom from unforgiveness. Lord, forgive me for not forgiving them in the past. I name this person before you, Lord, and I, I, I need your help, but I choose right this moment to forgive them for what they did to me. It hurt, God, and I'll have a hard time trusting, and you'll help me with that, and 
I don't know if I'll ever trust him again and, and maybe that's okay. Maybe trust needs to be earned, but forgiveness is a gift. So I give it away, Lord, not just for my own heart to be clear, but to honor you, God, because you've forgiven me of so much. Lord, I pray for everybody this morning who's praying something like that today. And I ask God for you to begin to put release in our hearts of the kind of joy that you promise for people who live in obedience to you. Lord, I pray that there would be something fresh and new as you do this work in our hearts that would that what, whatever ugly thing you're pulling out of there now, you would replace it with love. You would, you would replace it with patience. You would replace it with joy. You would pr- replace it with a vision for our tomorrows that somehow honors who you are in our lives. Now the next part's going to be hard, but I'm going to encourage you to follow me in this church. Now, Lord, I want to pray for that person. I don't know if it's something in me triggered what happened there. I don't know if it's their characteristic. It's not my responsibility. It's yours, Lord. But I ask God for a visit of your spirit upon their life. That you would speak to them. You would be their God. You would teach them ways of love. You would bless them with the same kind of joy I'm asking for today. So, Lord, as I forgive them, I'm also trusting in you, Lord. And I, I hold that name before you. And I ask God for you to visit their life. I pray these things. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to have the prayer team.